Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this awesome day. Thank you for your word, that it's living, it's active, and regardless of whatever language we read it in, it is your word, it's your truth, it's our light, it's our lamp. Father, thank you for Paul. We thank you for Kenya. Father, we thank you for our global workers. And we might not even know who they are, but we thank you that you are always working in and around us and in the entire globe. Jesus, may your word speak to us powerfully today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our comforter, be our healer, bring conviction, encouragement, transformation. More than anything, glorify the name of Jesus. And Father, may you pour your love into our hearts in a new, powerful, fresh way. And we ask these things in your Holy Spirit, in your name, Jesus, through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Paul, thank you so much. Well, Church of Woodbine, good morning. How's everyone doing? Oh, well, good. It is a joy seeing each and every one of you this morning. For those in the balcony, those online, we are so glad that you are here. We are going through the book of Acts. And if you're here for the first time, we actually have a couple gifts for you. There is a gift for you out in the foyer. But then also on these black tables in the back are a, are the, is the book of Acts in journal form, where one side is the actual scriptures and the other side are just blank lines where you can write your own personal notes in. They are for you. So if you have not taken one, please take one before you go. It's a great opportunity to read God's word every day and spend a few minutes just writing about what he is speaking to you. I don't have, it won't be a slide, but we have something 365-1511. If we read the Bible, 365 days out of the year, for 15 minutes a day, we will read the whole Bible in one year. 365.15, the one one. It's a challenge I gave to us last year. One chapter a day, write one verse down in your journal, and then write one paragraph as to why that verse speaks to you. It's a great way to interact with God's word. This book here that we call the Bible, it's not just a book. It's actually a collection of 66 books. And this book itself says that it is living, it is active, it is true, it is like a fire, it is like a hammer, it is like a double-edged sword. That's how the Bible describes itself. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we read God's written word to encounter his what? Living word, Jesus himself. I've preached, we are done, you are dismissed. Go have a great day. That's the sermon for today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It's just what Paul just read. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 32. I want to share the context as we're going through the book of Acts. And like we've done in the past, we're not going to hit every single verse and every single chapter in this book. But for the next three and a half months, until June, we're going to be in the book of Acts. It is one of my best, most favorite books of the whole Bible. I love this book. Last week, we looked at the fact, or I guess two weeks ago, where Jesus had risen from the dead. And for 40 days, he was with the apostles, the disciples, his family, It says in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to over 500 people alive. Say 500. See, we're in math class today. Johnny taught you how to count to two. One, two. 
Today, I've got three things we're going to look at. So say three. Three. You know, they didn't learn me good in school. They didn't learn my ABDs real well. If I can count my one, two, fours. That's a joke. Y'all are slow today. Y'all still sleep. We looked two weeks ago where Jesus being alive and he showed himself to over 500 people alive. In the court of law, we need what? Two, three testimonies of witnesses? 500 people. And he told the Christians, there are only about 120 of them left that were there. Not left, but that were actually who loved Jesus and followed Jesus. He told them, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And some of the greatest passages that you can read about Holy Spirit is John chapter 14, 15, and 16. We need to remember Jesus was with these apostles for three and a half years. Walking, talking, ministering, around the campfire, staying at people's homes. I can't imagine how much he downloaded to his followers about Holy Spirit. What we read in these gospels is just a tiny glimpse of everything. John the apostle said, he said himself, There aren't enough books in the world to contain everything that Jesus did and everything he taught. And he told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Say power. And the word power in Greek in Acts chapter 1 is the word dynamo, which is what we get dynamite from. This explosive, powerful anointing and presence of Holy Spirit. And we looked at it a little bit a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is not an it It is God himself. It's the third person of the Trinity. I love my home church I grew up in. It was an amazing church, great Bible teaching, very missional. We sent numerous missionaries all over the world. But unfortunately, our Trinity at our church practically was Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is God himself who lives and resides in every person who confesses and believes that Jesus is Lord. If we get really technical, it's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He intercedes for us. He's the one who sanctifies us, who protects us, who comforts us. He is the one that reminds us of everything Jesus taught. His role is to glorify Jesus and to draw us to the Father through the person, work, presence, and life of Jesus. It's a mystery. When we get to heaven and we see God in all his glory, we'll be like, wow. You can say it backwards too. We'll be overwhelmed by seeing God's incredible awesomeness. And so we saw last week, the Christians actually obeyed. The few times we see in scripture when God's people obey. We all know we struggle in obedience. And Satan loves to throw the guilt on us. And most of us truly die of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I should do this. I should do that. And we are just overwhelmed with unbelievable guilt by the things we don't do. Those are lies from the evil one. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Jesus. Our punishment, what we so rightfully deserve, was paid for 2,000 years ago. 
And too many of us as believers, we focus so much on what we're not doing for Jesus. And we focus on how we fail Jesus instead of focusing on what he has done for us and who he is. The father longs to carry us in his arms and have this deep, intimate relationship with him through Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who fills us and draws us to the father. So these Christians, they waited, and they actually waited 10 full days. And God's economy, that was real short. For us North Americans, that was a long time. Say long. That's with five O's. I am so impatient. I want God to answer my prayers yesterday. And if I'm honest with you, for myself, I'll speak for myself. I can pray for things for a day, two, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple weeks, a couple months. Oof, man, I feel like I have put in the time. And if God doesn't answer, it's like, where are you? And because we live in such a microwave economy where we want results now, ooh, man, I look at the Lord and, they would tell me in Mexico, calmado, Diego, relax, need to wait. These Christians, there are 120 of them. They're in the upper room, the same room where Jesus washed their feet, the same place where he taught them all about the Holy Spirit, the place where they celebrated the Lord's Supper, an amazing place. It's the place where they were hiding in fear of the Jews and the Romans. It's the place where Jesus appeared to them and said, peace, I'm alive. And it's the place that they went back to for 10 days in constant prayer and unity. Many of you, we've talked a little bit about today what's happening at Asbury College. And it's going almost on two weeks now, just constant prayer, constant revival. How did they do that? That's crazy. Well, let me tell you, when Holy Spirit descends and falls, you can't fake it. You can't make it up. You can't conjure it up. It's not an it. It's a him. But I tell you, when you wait on the Lord and when you hunger and thirst after him, there's a hunger and a thirst. And when he chooses to go, boom, in your presence, it'll overwhelm you. It can be extremely scary. And yet the peace he gives is so amazing. We talked about last week, did they really know what the Holy Spirit was going to look like when he showed up? I don't think so. I think they had an inkling of it, but I don't know if they truly understood it. But then here in chapter 2, from verse 1 up to 32, one of the, the 10th day, there was a violent wind, a rushing wind inside this upper room of the 120 Christians, and flames appeared over the, the heads of every person, and they began to speak in tongues. And they spilled out into the street, and it was during a celebration, a worship celebration called Pentecost. For us, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. But in the Old Testament, Pentecost was the celebration when God gave the law to Moses and Israel on Mount Sinai. And so every year, tens of thousands of Jewish people would return back to Jerusalem. And the city would expand to hundreds of thousands of people, Jewish, but from all over the Roman world, speaking dozens and dozens of languages. They were back in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost, the Old Testament celebration of Pentecost. Now, do you think it's a coincidence? Maybe in Spanish, as we say, a diosidencia, a God thing, 
that the day of celebration of Old Testament Pentecost is also going to be the new day of New Testament Pentecost, where they celebrate when God gave the law, which was the first five books of the Bible, the Ten Commandments and the law. They're celebrating that first Pentecost. And then second Pentecost is the first fruits of Holy Spirit. Hmm. Seems almost too good to be true, yet in God's incredible sovereignty, he's doing it. They spill out onto the streets. And here in verse 13 or verse 12, and it won't be on your screen, but chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, they were all astounded and perplexed. That's the people. That's the tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem as they see these 120 Christians speaking in tongues and babbling on. It says that they were astounded and they were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, oh, they're drunk on new wine. So they're speaking in tongues. They might be acting like they're drunk, but they're definitely not drunk. And then from verse 14 down to 31, Peter, who just 50 days before, I guess 53 days before, was so scared that he denied Jesus before a young servant girl. Peter stands up and from verse 14 to 31, he preaches the gospel. And he explains by declaring, Joel said in chapter 2 of Joel that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, young and old, men and women. And they would prophesy and see visions and dreams and there would be signs and wonders. That is what's happening today. And then he begins to preach Jesus Christ crucified. And Peter is bold. Now he's not obnoxious. The cross, the gospel is offensive. May we not be offensive to others, but may it be let Jesus be offensive because Jesus, he came to bring the sword. And father will be against son and son against father, mother against mother-in-law. It's going to happen. Yet he also brings peace. So when people reject us for the gospel, may it be truly for the gospel's sake and not because we're being obtuse or arrogant. Am I making sense? Because there's a huge difference. Peter proclaims the gospel. And we get right up here to chapter verse 32, which will be on your screen. It's what Paul read. And let's stand again for this reading right here in verse 32. We'll read from 32 down to 36. Verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Now you have to understand, there are tens of thousands of people. There's 120 Christians filled with Holy Spirit speaking in other languages. It's really weird. And Peter begins to preach and then he's very clear. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Men and women who love God, but they don't know Jesus. And many of them in his presence right there were even guilty of yelling 53 days earlier, crucify him. They know what happened. They saw it. They heard it. And Peter, whoo, he is letting them have it. He's throwing rocks at them. I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet. Well, I thought David was king. Well, he was a king. He is also a prophet. He was a prophet. He knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised... I am totally jumping around. Sorry, I was reading verse 31. My bad. Verse 32, my fault. I'm getting excited. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of a God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out on what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That comes from Psalm 110 verse 1. It is the most quoted Old Testament verse about the Messiah in the New Testament. Peter is letting them have it. He's declaring what? Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus is resurrected. And now Jesus has ascended to heaven. And then in verse 36, he says right here, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus. Now, here's where it's hit hard. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Y'all may be seated. Peter is not real PC right here. He's not being soft, but he does know his audience. The people who Peter is talking with are zealous. And I'm not talking about zealots. I'm talking about Jewish men and women who've come to Jerusalem to celebrate Old Testament Pentecost. They are committed Jewish people. They know the Old Testament. They love God. They love Yahweh. They are zealous for God's law and for holiness, and they're there on pilgrimage. He's not speaking to Greeks and he's not speaking to Gentiles who don't have a clue about who Jesus is. These people who Peter is talking to know all about the Old Testament and many of them probably knew everything about Jesus. Many of these Jewish men and women who are listening to Peter, they might have heard Jesus actually teach and preach for years. Remember, Jesus taught for three and a half years. He traveled all over Israel. He healed hundreds, if not thousands of people. Some of these people in this audience who had rejected Jesus might have been healed by Jesus or maybe a family member or a neighbor or a friend. Some of these people here who are hearing Peter might have been part of the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000. And like I said earlier, some of these folks probably stood in the crowd shouting, crucify him. And were guilty. They had blood on their hands. And Peter knows it. And Peter's saying right here very clearly, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Man, this is the first sermon preached after the resurrection. And there are three things about this passage that are just unbelievable. The first one is that the gospel is proclaimed. Peter proclaims the gospel. We are all about the gospel. 
You will walk out our doors here. You'll see our mission statement, engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime with anybody. If the gospel is not part of who we are as men and women, young and old, what are we doing? The gospel is everything that we should be. It is Christ has died. Christ is buried. Christ is risen according to the scriptures, and he will come again. Every time we do the Lord's Supper, we declare it, that mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That is our blessed hope. And as Paul said in Corinthians, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we are the most pitied of all people. But he has risen and he's alive. And he promised to his believers, his followers, there are only 120, that he was not going to leave them alone or abandoned, but he would give them the Holy Spirit, who is himself, it's his spirit, who would abide in them and he wouldn't leave them as orphans, but he would come back. That is our blessed hope. So that first thing is that the gospel is proclaimed right here. There's so much that we can learn from this passage. The second point is what we're getting ready to see. It's a call to repentance. Right here in verse 37, I love this verse right here. Verse 37, it says, when they heard this, now there are thousands of people in front of Peter. Thousands. And Peter preached. It was probably a good sermon. It wasn't a sermonette. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? I love that phrase, pierced to the heart. See, Holy Spirit was working on those people already. I love the fact that it is not our job to convince anyone to put their faith in Jesus. That's Holy Spirit's job. Jesus is very clear in John. The Spirit's role, he comes to convince the world, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. We're just to proclaim and show Jesus. It takes all that pressure off. We speak the truth. And at times that does require boldness and courage. It can be a very scary thing because people will reject us. They'll make fun of us but we proclaim the truth with humility and boldness and we let Holy Spirit do the work. They ask brothers and sisters, brothers, what do we do? In Mexico, we had, I share stories all the time about Mexico. Our little church had about 70 people in it. And over like a six month span, we grew to over 150. It was a revival, it was amazing. We worked with the Billy Graham Association and they did three nights of a 30-minute TV show on national television. In our church, we had four home groups at the time. And so we did this training and we asked people to open their homes to show this 30-minute TV show two nights in a row. And then the third night, it was an hour-long show. We had 14 people. And I still remember the numbers because I was blown away. 14 homes opened up their homes to invite friends and family and neighbors. We went to one of our friends' house. They weren't even Christians. And every night, the first night, the electricity went out two minutes before the show started. Couldn't do it. The next night, we had over 20 people in their home. The third night, there were almost 30 people in the home. And after we watched the show, one of my buddy, who wasn't even a believer, he shared the gospel in front of everybody. It was amazing. He didn't know Jesus yet. Wasn't even a Christian, but he shared the gospel. 
And some lady stood up and said, so what do we do? And when I read this, it's like, yeah. Most of them accepted Jesus that night. Only a few started coming to church. But when Holy Spirit moves and works, it is powerful. Peter responds, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. For the gift of Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for everyone near and far whom the Lord wills and calls. The second point in this passage is a call to repentance. Repent of your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of Holy Spirit. You see, when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and believe in Jesus, God gives us his Holy Spirit. We're forgiven, we're sealed, we're bought with a price. And then God himself lives inside of us and he'll never leave us, ever. He holds us in his hands and no one can snatch us out of his hands. That's the second point. The third point is there is fruit. The fruit of the gospel. It says here, we'll continue reading verse 40. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted the message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Amazing. The church went from 120 people to over 3,000 in one day. That is the work of Holy Spirit. Those three things, the gospels proclaimed, a call to repentance and the fruit of the gospel. There will always be fruit. There'll be repentance. There'll be salvation. There'll be restoration. There'll be transformation. I can go on and on. What can we learn from this passage? A lot, but I want to focus on three things very quickly. The first one is this. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Jesus told them that he would not leave them or abandon them. He would not leave them as orphans, but he would send the Holy Spirit. He did. God is always faithful to fulfill his promises in our lives. Make sure you're believing his promises and not your own. Don't be deceived. The second point is this. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That comes from Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is God's power to bring salvation to a lost and dying world, to touch our lives, to transform our lives, to transform our families to bring healing, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, community healing. It's only the gospel. It's not who's in the White House. It's not who sits on the Supreme Court. It's not our elected officials, though they are super important. It is Jesus himself. He is the only one 
who is the hope of the world. He's the hope of Israel. The third thing, and this is for many of us today, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Most of us, well, all of us who believe in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. But we're commanded in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That word be filled means always being continually, always being continually filled. I grew up camping a lot. And I want to invite the worship team to come forward. I grew up camping a lot. I loved to camp. Back in high school and college, man, on the hard ground, sleeping bag, man, didn't matter. Moved to Mexico, we camped all the time. I started noticing something. I got married with Christy. We camped and camped and camped. And the older I got, man, the, I get up in the morning, man, that crook in my neck, and man, that, that root and that big old rock, and it got harder. That ground got harder with each year I got older. So we bought a little air mattress. That helped a little bit. We finally bought a big air mattress, you know, one of those big, huge things you fill up. It's awesome the first time around. Then it got a slow leak. And it would be nice and full at night when you go to sleep. When I'd wake up in the morning, it was about that thick. There just slowly leaked out of it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we hold these treasures in jars of clay. We are jars of clay. The 21st century Doug version is we're leaky buckets. We're fragile. We're broken. We're sinful. We're human. It's not that the Holy Spirit leaves us, but because we're fragile, sinful, we become unaware of his presence. Sin that we hold in our hearts, especially unforgiveness, especially if the Lord has told us to do something and we've said no, especially if there's his word tells us very clearly, do this, don't do that, and we say no. It's like putting another hole in that air mattress. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us, but we're also commanded don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And we become very unaware of his voice, his presence, his power working in our lives. So as we close today, I've got a couple question statements, and let's stand. Go ahead and stand up. The first one is this. If you've not put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, why not? You're lost as a kite in a hurricane and you might not even know it. But Jesus died on the cross for you because he loves you. He wants to give you new life, save you and forgive you. So if you haven't repented and been baptized, I ask the question, why not today? For many of us, we love Jesus and we know Jesus. So here's my question for you. What is your next step of obedience? Is there something God has been speaking to you and you just have said, I'm not doing it? Or maybe you're too afraid. What is that next step of obedience that God has called you to? Last week I shared, God doesn't have favorites. 
But God has intimates. Comes from A.W. Tozer. Jesus says that those who have his commands and obey him are the ones who love him. And he and the Father will love us back. And that's an intimate love. And they will make their home with us because they long to have a deep, deep relationship with us. So what is that next step of obedience? It could be a relationship. It could be how you use your time. It could be how you use your money. It could be a, something that you're a sin you're living in and you don't want to give it up. Or maybe it's something positive to do and you just are too afraid to do it. You don't trust them. I want to encourage you, don't deny his voice today. As we sing this song, we'd love to pray with you. A couple of us will be down here. We'd love to pray with you about anything and everything. But let's not be a deflated air mattress. May we continually be filled with Holy Spirit, aware of his presence and saying yes to him in humble, loving obedience because Jesus is worthy. Let's worship.